Hour number three, the Pete Callender Show underway. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Emily Finley is the author of a book called The Ideology of Democratism, and uh, she has a doctorate in politics from the Catholic University of America. And uh, the Wall Street Journal ran uh, a piece by her the other day called Democracy by and for the Elites, and uh, she has coined this term democratism, and she uh, defines it as an imaginative and idealistic understanding of popular rule that disdains ordinary people and looks to a cadre of so-called experts to operate the levers of power, the elites, right? So it's called democracy. It's called democratism in her mind, and it basically disdains democracy, right? This goes to um, a philosopher named Jean-Jacques Rousseau, and Rousseau applied this kind of idea in uh, the social contract, is what he uh, called it. And the general will, he says, the general will is what the popular will ought to be, even if it isn't expressed by actual living people. Yeah, he's he's sort of of the left, as you could imagine. <laughs> The general will conveniently requires the translation of a wise legislator, right? This is the Gnostics. These are the, this is the Gnosticism aspect to it. And look, she, this woman, uh, she graduated from the Catholic University of America. Catholics have a pretty uh, rich history of relying on somebody to interpret things for them, too, right? So, uh, look, she understands this is how this kind of plays out. And uh, Rousseau, in his social contract theory, right, this is... Uh, where he says, like, oh, there's this general will, but they may not actually um, express it, but that is what the general will is. And so you need some enlightened people, a.k.a. government officials, who will tell us what the general will is. This is what we are seeing with the term democracy. It no longer indicates very much about popular rule at all. The word now merely refers to a hypothetical goal that gives those who use it, who invoke its holy name, right? It gives them a mandate to do just about anything, even the opposite of what the people desire, right? Because the people desired, in North Carolina, the people desired what? Voter ID. The people of North Carolina desired it, voted for it, and added it to our Constitution. That's what democracy did but the defenders of democracy the ones who are oh so worried all the time about the threats to our democracy they are now in court and they're probably going to get the four democrat judges to throw it all out to throw the whole thing out to say no you should never have even been able to vote on it that's the that's expressing the will of the people to the gnostic uh, cadre, right? She goes on to say, uh, talks about Alexis de Tocqueville, uh, who predicted that people would accept the tutelage of the powerful because of their belief uh, that they themselves hold the end of the chain. The people would accept their tutelage because of their belief that they themselves hold the end of the chain. You understand what he's saying? 
that we'll accept this government power, we'll accept these Gnostics, we'll accept these interpreters of the public will, right? We'll, the general will. We'll accept these people because we, the people, we're in charge. Do we really hold the end of the chain, though? The soft despots today will undoubtedly continue to use the democratic lexicon even as they transform the fiber of the republic. What better way to preempt the opposition than simply to declare it a threat to our democracy? This is why I mock the term. Because the people who wield it do so in bad faith. They are acting at odds with democracy. They think that they should be in charge. There was another piece. Well, here, let me do this first because I've been sitting on this piece forever and it's almost now a month late. But I mentioned this earlier. This was um, uh, how the Democrats are are attempting to change the rules on the Electoral College, the popular vote. They're just going to do an end run around the Electoral College, right? They're going to go to all the state legislatures and they're going to try to get these bills run through the legislatures. So whenever there's a presidential election, the state would ignore the will of the voters of that state and just throw the electoral college votes to whoever got the most votes nationally. Think about that. Our federalist system. Like if you start thinking in terms in this way, the, the the presidential election is not never has been nor should it be a national election. It is 50 state elections. On the same day. The federal government does not run our elections. Our states do. Now, there are rules at the federal level, but our states run our elections. That was by design. We are, all of the states run their elections and they do it on the same day for the presidency, right, for the national offices. They follow those rules. They could follow whatever rules they want at the state level. And at the local level, they make their own rules at those lower levels, right? For the most part, they make their own rules. But the left has got people believing that we have some sort of a national election for president. And so what the defenders of democracy want to do is they want to rob all of the states of their influence in the presidential races. And they want to, what, have state legislatures then say, well, you know what? Our state voted for, you know, President Biden. But, you know, Ron DeSantis actually got more votes nationally because he carried Florida and Texas or whatever. So we're going to now throw out our state's results and we're going to give all of our electoral college votes to the winner of the national, the popular vote. Which is not what the founders intended at all. Now, you could make an argument that, well, this is, you know, this is uh, fealty to democracy at the national level. Yeah, but we're the United States of America. The states were the seminal authority. The states created the federal government. Right. You're you as the legislature in a particular state, you're supposed to be the ones representing the will of your people in your state. You're now just giving over your people's vote to voters in California, New York, or Texas, or Florida, these bigger populated states. Why would you do that? Why are you not protecting democracy in your own state? Why, why, well, we all know why this is on the table. And if they get their way, they would dismantle the filibuster as well. 
right? This is all connected, right? You've got Kamala Harris, who said the other day on Meet the Press that, um, on, well, on Saturday, uh, she, she went on Meet the Press on Sunday, but Saturday before she delivered a speech at the Democratic National Committee's summer meeting at the National Harbor in Maryland. And she said, quote, with just two more seats in the Senate, we can codify Roe v. Wade. We can put the protections of Roe in law. With two more seats in the U.S. Senate, we could pass the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Two more seats. You know, our president, Joe Biden, has uh, has been clear. He's kind of done with those archaic Senate rules that are standing in the way of those two issues, too. He's made that clear and has said that he will not allow that to obstruct those two issues. And, you know, for me as vice president, I'm also the president of the Senate. I cannot wait to cast the deciding vote to break the filibuster on voting rights and reproductive rights. I cannot wait. 59 days. So blow up the filibuster as well, which protects minority rights. This is what I mean. A lot of these folks have a fundamental disagreement about our system of government. They do not want federalism. And I don't understand why people don't make this case in those terms. A federalism versus anti-federalism argument. Meanwhile, back to the WRAO poll, North Carolinians are increasingly worried about the future of democracy. And many are prepared, uh, preparing for the possibility of a civil war in the coming years, according to a Meredith College poll released on Monday. All righty, News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Email is Pete at thepetecalendarshow.com. Thank you, at Patriot Girl, who said, give him hell, Pete. Um, <laughs> let me see here. This is uh, from the WRAL uh, story on another poll from Meredith College. 61% of Republicans... And 36% of Democrats believe the use of force may be needed to save the country from what they see as a disappearing way of life. Which makes sense, by the way, doesn't it? Doesn't it make sense that you would have more Republicans than Democrats say that? I mean, about the disappearing way of life part. Right? If you believe your, life, the, the way, your way of life is disappearing, if there is a political philosophy and sort of a a cultural perspective or outlook that lends itself to a a greater opposition to the change, that would be of the right, would it not? It would be conservatism, right? Because progressivism is all about regression. I mean, sorry, progress, right? It's all about forward, isn't it? And so why would Democrats, the party of progressivism regression, why would they want to be uh, trying to save the country from a disappearing way of life? They would want the way of life to disappear, would they not? That's what their progress is all about, is it not? Or are they saying, yeah, I mean, that's, Oh, no, that's, uh, that is what they're saying. This was a poll of 819 registered voters, so keep that in mind. This is just registered voters. 
They don't even have to ever vote. They're just registered to vote. And that means they just went to a DMV and got a license at some point, right? Republicans were also more likely to believe violence may be needed to get the country back on track. 36% of GOP respondents, 23% of Democrats say violence could become necessary, which I'm not really sure what the value of that one is. That it could become necessary. Yeah, um, and, uh, you know, we could all start pooping gold and be rich. That I guess that could happen, too. Younger adults were more likely to envision a violent clash. When it comes down to using force or violence to maintain a way of life, there are some findings in there that are a little concerning, said David McLennan, a Meredith College political scientist. Republicans are 50% more likely than Democrats to favor the use of political violence. By the way, there's a plus or minus here of 3.3 percentage points. Um for the uh, credibility interval. So again, the, the question was, was whether or not you believe the use of force may be needed to save the country. There's this, there, there are some weasel words in there. This is the thing. I'm, I'm a terrible person to get a poll from. Seriously, I am awful. You start asking me these questions on, uh, on a survey, and I start giving you the what for over these questions because a lot of times they're written in a way that's unclear and can induce certain types of answers. For example, because things have gotten so far off track, true American patriots may have to resort to violence in order to save our country. That was the question. See, when you read the cross tabs, you can actually see, see the way that the story or the way that the, uh, the questions are framed and then the way the story is written after that. Because things have gotten so far off track. Well, you've you've already laid out a premise, have you not? You've said things are so far off track. You're saying that. As the pollster, you're telling the respondent, because things have gotten so far off track. What, well, what does that mean? It puts the respondent in a frame of mind that says things are way off track. Oh, my gosh, things are so far off track. Now, how far off track is that? The pollster doesn't ask you that. It doesn't tell you that, right? So it just gives you this question based on a premise that is completely open to subjective interpretation by you. And by the way, your interpretation is going to differ than everybody else's on the basic premise. And and by the way, you don't ask them first off right track, wrong track, are you not? You're just saying because it's so far off track. They then say true American patriots, true American patriots. Well, what is that language for? Does the left view themselves? Do they call themselves true American patriots? Do they say, do they use that kind of? No. And you, you know how I know that? Because the IRS didn't target them under Barack Obama, right? The IRS targeted groups. Under the rise of the Tea Party movement, they they targeted groups with the name Patriot in them, knowing that that, those would be groups of the right. So when you say something, true American patriots, what are you doing? Right? You're inducing a certain response from a different group of people. The left is going to say no, and the right is going to say yes, because you're saying true American patriots. And the right tends to identify more as patriots than the left. 
I'm not saying they are or are not. I'm simply saying these words are used. And by the way, progressives know this. Progressives know this. They they don't ever talk. I mean, think about it. Uh, look, I don't, here's here's an example. Well, I wouldn't even use that. Never mind. I won't even go down that path. It's just it's too long to explain. I'm running out of time. We all know these to be these things to be true. I'm not saying the left are not patriots. I'm saying they don't use the word as often as the right does to define themselves politically. They just don't. You sh- you could have asked the question something like you know generic. You could have said is uh, or do you think violence will be necessary in order to course correct the direction of the country? Would you resort to violence in order to save the country from going down the wrong path, right? Well, no, see, because if you ask it that way, you may get more people that say yes, because more people would like to view themselves as the hero. We're always the hero or victim, you know, never the villain. So, of course, these numbers are going to look like this. It's just so frustrating, I swear. Sometimes I'm amazed I can do this job at all. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Got a tweet here from the Hellion. It's a Pete tweet. My mother was fairly conservative until Donald Trump came along. She locked on to MSNBC and now even repeats threat to democracy. She now worships Liz Cheney. I told her Cheney was a threat to the Constitutional Republic. (laughs) She's a threat to the Republic. Let me go over here to Jimmy. Hello, Jimmy. Welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, all right. Uh, it looks like uh, they're trying to move us into almost like some form of uh, serfdom where we have like a, a a democratic monarchy where <laughs> where I guess if you're a Democrat or a de- Democrat celebrity, they're just very much untouchable, and then the rest are just peasants. Well, that's the that is uh, one of the hallmarks of all of the great collectivist societies, right? Where you had, I call it the Elysium Party, the Democratic Party. I call it the Elysium Party, right? You have uh, this stratification, this divergent group of you know wealthy elites, and then you have working poor, and like that's their that's sort of their new coalition uh, is racial minorities, working poor, and um, like this is a hallmark of all collective ideologies and societies where the people that are in the power are in the party uh, and control the levers of power. They always get the special privileges, right? They get to shop at the better stores. They get access to the black market items. They, they get, they get the perks of being powerful in that system and everybody else does not. So it's pretty on brand, you know, it's, it's pretty on brand. Yeah, they've made, I guess, Donald Trump, especially Donald Trump, and uh, the Santos are almost like Genghis Khan. They're just barbarians at the gate. Well, they didn't, yes, and I will say, though, a lot of Trump supporters did not do themselves uh, any favors in trying to disabuse that that comparison with the storming of the Capitol, right? Uh, If you're you're trying to say you're not a barbarian at the gate, I'm not sure January 6th is the best image to put forward there, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jimmy, I appreciate the call, man. Thanks. All right, see ya. Um, 
Now, I'm not minimizing, and I'm not, I'm not saying everyone who was at the Stop the Steel rally then went to the Capitol, and I'm not saying everybody who went into the Capitol stormed in and broke in. Some just walked in. See, like, people have to, like, there are a lot of different things I can, I can. I mean, maybe other people cannot. Maybe, maybe this is a moment of clarity. Maybe all this time I've been thinking that a lot of folks can hold these various ideas in their minds at the same time, and they don't have to pick one or the other. But maybe I am unique. I'm like that rob, uh, robot in uh, in iRobot. I am unique. Maybe it's like that. So WRAL does this story off of the Meredith College poll about how those you know evil, nasty Republicans they're you know they're they're ready for violence. They're going to just pick up arms against everybody. Because uh, they 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 feel their their way of life is under threat. That's the the big story of the WR. Now there are tons of other uh, questions, by the way, that the Meredith poll uh, did cover. But this was the one that WRAL focused on because you know WRAL, um, and that's the Raleigh TV station. Here was the other question: Our American way of life is disappearing so fast that we may have to use force to save it. of Republicans say somewhat or strongly agree. So there was 27% strongly agree. Our American way of life is disappearing so fast, we may have to use force to save it. Right. Well, if you feel like you're being forced to adopt, say, a collectivist or communist uh, uh, form of government, then yes, I would strongly agree with that as well. See, here's the problem. You're not telling me who the opponent is. You're not asking me to define what the American way of life is that we're losing. You're just set, you're just stating it that it's disappearing and it's happening very quickly, which induces a kind of fear, which then also prompts the reactionary to say, "Whoa, I will stand up against it and fight against it." Right? What next here? More than one third of respondents say they believe there will be a civil war in the next few years. More than a third: forty-one percent of Republicans, thirty-four percent of Democrats. And then David McLennan, the head of the Meredith College poll, said 10 years ago, we would not even be, uh, be having this discussion about the future of democracy. But now we're forced to because of what voter attitudes are. OK, this is not true. This is not true. This idea that 10 years ago we wouldn't even be having this discussion, that's false. I've literally had this discussion for the last 15 years. I'm a talk radio show host. This topic has come up. You know when you know when it was really acute? When Barack Obama was president. Mm-hmm. That's when people were really freaking out. Yeah, yeah. We there were national divorce, all that stuff. And then of course when Donald Trump won, then the left started talking about national divorce. They won't say civil war because you know they don't own a lot of the guns. But um <laughs> but no, they they started talking about uh, secession. There were actual Movements for secession on the left. But we just forget about all of that. See, this is what I mean. I don't know what this guy's politics are. I'm not trying to drag him or anything. I'm just pointing out that's not true. And you're being quoted in WREL, and WREL is advancing this story that this is somehow a unique thing in American politics, and we've never seen this before, and that's not true. This happens, it has happened in the last four presidential election cycles. That I know of. 
McLennan points to former President Donald Trump's refusal to accept defeat in the 2020 election as a major contributor to the country's growing political polarization. Again, not true. Donald Trump is a symptom. He is not the cause. Donald Trump is a symptom of the political degeneration of our culture. He did not cause it. Many of the people that hate him and react so vitriolically against him are exactly like him. Exactly like him. It really is amazing. He says he also noted tensions have historically run high in election years. Right. Like, say, for example, 2016 and the years after when Hillary Clinton and the media, but I repeat myself, uh, you know, refused uh, in 2016 to accept the election results, said the election was hacked. Oh, oh, how about this? How about the actual political violence in 2016 and in, then again in uh, 2020? How about that? How about the actual burning, looting, rioting, murdering that actually occurred? How about the attempted assassination of a very large contingent of the Republican legislative delegation? Right? How about the mowing down of white people at a uh, Christmas parade? How about the Republican kid that just got run over by a leftist who said that uh, that the kid was part of the right-wing extremists? Why? Oh, I don't know. Just a week after President Biden got up and stoked fears about the Republican extremists and how they're all MAGA lovers and all of this. Come on, guys. Next up, 60% of North Carolina voters surveyed said they enjoy challenging the opinions of others. 83% said they don't start arguments. 100% of them are lying. When we, <laughs> I'm, just I'm just kidding. Yeah, the question was, I often start arguments. This was kind of funny. I often start arguments. Again, nobody is ever the villain of their own story. They're always the victims or the heroes. So uh, to the extent that we see the numbers we see in, this, in the answers here, I, I say at least there are some people with some self-awareness. I often start arguments. Democrats, 20% agree. Republicans, 12%. Unaffiliated, 14 What does that say? Democrats are more likely to cause uh, or more likely to start the arguments, which I actually have found that to be true. I, I have found that to be true. Shining for you. They are. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender for one final segment today. Today, I'll be back again tomorrow. Here's an email from Ann, who says, This is just crazy, unbelievable, and just wrong. Our sheriff in Mecklenburg County has told his deputies to stop giving out tickets to motorists if they don't have a valid inspection, headlight out, or illegal tinted windows. Why? McFadden listened to liberals who were saying too many blacks have been getting tickets. Our sheriff McFadden is picking and choosing which laws to enforce according to color of defenders. Uh, Do you realize he wants... 50% 50% of the tickets given out to whites and 50% to blacks. The world doesn't work that way. I am curious, by the way. Uh, thank you for the email, Ian. Um, Brett Jensen, I, I saw him in the uh, newsroom earlier, and he's got Sheriff McFadden on the show tonight at 7 o'clock. And uh, apparently the sheriff said he would take phone calls. So... Have fun. I am curious, though. Uh, do we expect to see a um, a proportionate breakdown that is, uh, uh, 
that uh, of offenses and offenders and tickets written and all of that um, that's proportionate to all demographic groups in the population. So, and I'm not just saying population. We have to go through like the uh, to the driving population, right? Just people who have driver's licenses in Mecklenburg County. Or do we look at the state level? Or do we have to include uh, South Carolina population demographics into the analysis as well? Because you got people that come up from South Carolina and work in Charlotte. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of curious as to how you're doing this comparison. Is it statewide? Is it countywide? Are you including the metro area? Right? How do you account for all of these demographic uh, differences? Uh, but uh, also... Men versus women. Men versus women. Is that got? Do we have to have proportional representation there in our tickets as well? Because you know, women make up a majority of the population, so they should be getting most of the tickets, right? Seems pretty clear to me. That's that's the logic that the sheriff is employing. So, if if we're going to go with the proportional representation model, then I'm going to have to insist. That women get, actually, it's more, right? Women are like 51 or 52% of the population. I don't know about locally, but it seems to me like they should be getting a majority of the tickets. Yeah, the non-moving violations. Like I said, Brett Jensen's going to talk to the sheriff tonight on the program. I think he's in for the full hour. For the full hour. Hello. Um, this is from Thomas. He says, Pete, I grew up outside Gary, Indiana. Near the south side of Chicago, in the region, that was our nickname. That what was our nickname? Oh, the Big Steel. That was our nickname. Democrats have been stealing elections before the ter- since before the turn of the century, nineteenth century. Stealing elections by Democrats has always been a fine art. Voting the dead, unregulated, bloated voter rolls, ma- uh, mass voter registration, voting retirement homes, vote harvesting, and just dumping fictitious votes in the system to overload it. It's been their stock and trade. But in the twenty twenty steal. They added a twist. The addition of mass absentee ballots, drop boxes, voting people who moved out of state, voting machines tied to the Internet. Added another dimension that if it isn't changed, make it almost impossible to obtain a fair election. Maybe that is why people like me don't see any fairness in the system unless major basic changes in the election process are adopted in every city and every state. So so here's part of the, the, the issue, uh, Thomas, is that every state has different rules, as I mentioned earlier. So... Some states may have better safeguards than others. Um, know thy state. Get involved in your local elections as well. You know, if you want to try to protect the integrity of elections, you can do so by volunteering to help administer said elections. Um, back to this Meredith poll. Um, do, 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 there was, here. oh yeah, here we go. A strong leader for America is more important than being a democracy. Having a strong leader for America is more important than being a democracy. 39% of Democrats said yes, they agree with that. 40%, 41% of Republicans agree. So we are ripe for a tyrant, it seems like. Um, Yeah. Although, no, we're a constitutional Republican. Maybe the conservatives answered the question with that in mind, that we're not a democracy, so having a strong leader, like Donald Trump, right? Like, that's, that's okay. Then having a strong leader, you know, like 
Well, I was going to say Joe Biden, but like Barack Obama, right? Having that is more important than a democracy. It's which is kind of an interesting thing for Democrats to say. What them being the defenders of democracy and all, right? It's kind of off brand. Uh, let's see what else here. If elected leaders want to protect American democracy, then people must do it themselves. Or sorry, if elected leaders won't protect American democracy, then people must do it themselves, even if it requires violent actions. 26% of Democrats agree, 39% of Republicans agree, 25% of unaffiliateds agree. Okay. But if elected leaders won't protect American democracy, then the people must do it even if it requires violence. Why is the party, the Democrats, of defending democracy unwilling to defend the democracy? See what I mean? This doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, unless, of course, that the whole defending democracy uh, defending democracy thing is just a rhetorical device, right? Spoiler, it is. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone. <laughs>